The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. You can message us at threestrands.church/contact. Uh, so anyway, what what happened last week was we are it caused us to be in part three of a two-part series now. So. Today is part three of two, okay? Somebody told me once that five out of four people are no good at fractions, so that's what that sounds like, and we're in part three of two. So uh, what we did week before last, we started this series called Tightwad about uh, kind of money management, and we looked at a guy named Joseph and how he was just a faithful manager of God's, uh, what God had entrusted to him, and then today we're just going to pick up with part two. Uh, and look at a story in the Bible about a trusting widow and learn some lessons from her life and, and what happened there. It's a pretty cool story, but her life, uh, it started out pretty normal, you know. Uh, she got married, she had a baby, but shortly after their first child arrived, her husband died, and her world just kind of fell apart. She didn't have a whole lot of time to grieve. Uh, she was a single mom with almost nothing to live on, and so she was in a pickle. And people in that culture, they had to fend for themselves or else they starved. She didn't belong to a church, uh, no extended family for support. So I'm sure she was all alone and very, very scared. And to make matters worse, a drought had hit the region. It hadn't rained for years, and, and the crops had withered up, and the price of food just skyrocketed. And, and her neighbors withdrew from her even more. Uh, there were no available jobs, and even if there had been, I mean, who's going to take care of her child? Eventually, she had nothing left to eat uh, other than just a small container of flour and then enough oil to make one last loaf of bread. And so she was desperate, and so she went outside of town to this small field to pick uh, enough sticks up to start a fire. And there was nothing left for her to do except bake this last loaf of bread share it with her son, and then just wait to die, just hoping somehow for a miracle. But, but this young bankrupt widow used her last loaf of bread. For those of you who have read this story, you know that she used it in such a way that pleased God so much that her life was drastically changed, that God used her obedience there to just dramatically change her life forever. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So what happened was she goes out to this, this field to comb for twigs and a stranger strikes up a conversation with her. And this stranger, you may have heard of him, he was this Jewish prophet named Elijah who was also very, very desperate. And Elijah had predicted that this severe famine uh, would strike the land of Israel. Why? Because the people had, had just turned from the one true God and started worshiping this false god called Baal. Baal was this god, this false god of infertility or of fertility and rain. But the Lord had humbled them by turning off the rain. And the harvest dwindled down to nothing. And the authorities, they got ticked off with Elijah. Uh, they, they were mad at him, furious, for suggesting that there's somehow the, this correlation between their sinful behavior and then the nation's tragic situation. And so what did he do? He ran for his life, and he'd been hiding in this ravine for a while now, where we're going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 17. Look at verse 8. It says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow 
there to feed you. Now, this was an odd command, wouldn't you think? I mean, he asked Elijah to go beg, not from a Jew, but from a Gentile. Not from a man, but from a woman. Not from a wealthy woman, but from an impoverished woman. Not, not one from an anonymous area somewhere, but no, in the city of Sidon, which happened to be the home of Queen Jezebel, who was Elijah's number one enemy at the time. So it was kind of a strange request. Look at verse 10. And so he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, bring me a bite of bread too. Now put yourself in this woman's shoes, or I guess we could say this woman's sandals at this time, right? Put yourself in this woman's sandals for just a moment. She was already under just enormous financial pressure. And then this stranger comes up to her and asks her for a free handout. How would you feel if that happened to you? Look at verse 12. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to share this story with you this morning is that as wonderful as last December was at our church with meeting the church budget, you know, you saw where we were and kind of what happened. It was, really, it was really cool. But the truth is it shouldn't have been that big of a deal, that big of a need at the end of each year. It seems like we are always in like this financial budget crunch in December every single year. We pray and pray and beg God and he bails us out every single time. But I want you to know when we teach about money here, it's because God wants us to experience freedom in this area of our lives, not because the church is fundraising, you know, and trying to beg people every December to help us meet the budget, you know. We're not fundraising. We want everyone who calls this place home, who's a member here, to be obedient to God in every area of our lives, including this one, to sacrificially give, to, to tithe. The Bible says that word means tenth. One out of every ten I give back. And guys, if each church member did that, I mean, the truth is we, we wouldn't need to do that every December. We wouldn't have to do that. We would have enough to fund our building. We wouldn't even have a building project going on. There would be more than enough to meet the budget every single year. The truth is we shouldn't need the miraculous each year. We just need obedience to the Lord. And listen, I know that sounds harsh, but I realize it's easier to do that in times of prosperity. But what about times of uncertainty? You think, yeah, I get it. I know. I know what the Bible says about tithing and all this kind of stuff, but you just don't understand my financial situation. It's very uncertain. So what about times of uncertainty? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So this widow here can teach us something about putting our trust in God when times are tough and money is tight. 
So let's look at three lessons that she can teach us. The first one's this. God expects everybody to give something, even those going through difficult times. Let me show you from the scriptures, okay? But this lady, she didn't have hardly anything, right? Wouldn't you agree from hearing that story? But yet God still commanded her to help the prophet Elijah out. Did he not? All throughout the Bible, we are taught that everybody gives something. Those who lived under the Old Testament law, you remember that they were to bring a lamb or an ox to sacrifice in the temple. And if they couldn't afford a lamb, they were to bring two doves or two young pigeons to be sacrificed. But everybody was to bring something, it said. They weren't supposed to come worship God empty-handed. That Their gift was an act of sacrifice and worship. Now, you flip forward to the New Testament, this same principle is taught. Remember in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, when Jesus saw this poor widow who had just two mites, and that would have been like less than a penny in today's wages, but, uh, but she dropped both of them in the offering plate. What did Jesus say? Well, he, he didn't say, oh, you shouldn't have given anything. You only got two mites. You shouldn't have given anything. No, he commended her and said that she gave more than anybody else because she gave all that she had. Remember that? Or in 2 Corinthians 8, verses 2 and 3, Paul praised the Macedonian churches because it said even though they were very poor, not just poor, they were very poor, it says, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which is overflowed in what? Rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it because the preacher was making them feel bad and, and guilty. No, it says they did it of their own free will. And so God commands every believer to develop this habit of being able to give from whatever resources that he's given to us. But when money is tight and times are tough, we're tempted, aren't we? We are tempted to find excuses not to give. I get it. You know, my two mites won't make a difference. I mean, God wants me to pay my bills, doesn't he? I mean, if the bank repossesses my house or my car, I mean, what kind of witness is that for Jesus, right? I mean, that's going to ruin my witness. Or, you know, I'm just kind of borrowing from God, kind of like a bank, you know, and I'm going to pay it back next week. But listen, God's commandment applies to us all. There's no exemption clause in his command. And, and please, please hear me. I hope you hear my heart this morning. I'm not trying to be insensitive. Uh, I'm, I'm not trying to be insensitive to our financial struggles or how hard that some of us work. But please hear me. This is more about our willingness to obey, to obey God and just leave the consequences up to him. I learned a long time ago in my life, God, I'm just going to try to do what you say, and I know it doesn't make sense in my mind, but I'm going to leave the consequences up to you because you promised that if I'll just obey you, you'll take care of the consequences. Listen, God can do more. God can do more with the two pennies that the poor widow gave than he can with thousands that the arrogant millionaire writes off as charity for tax purposes. He can it's amazing what God can do with just humble obedience. You know, when we give, God multiplies it, and then he uses it for his glory. So it's not about the amount. You know, it's just about humble obedience, even if it's just two pennies. You remember the little boy who had just five loaves and two fish, and he gave them to Jesus, 
And then Jesus, in turn, used that to feed 5,000 people. You know, we just have to give it. That's it. All the little boy did was gave what he had. And so if we just give it, God promises that he will multiply it. I heard about a, a motorcycle gang member who had began following Jesus with his whole heart, and, and his heart was truly changed. And he was changed on the inside, but the outside, you know, he, he looked the same, okay, wore the same stuff. And so he went to church the following Sunday after his conversion, and he really stood out because he had this, like, gang member jacket on with this satanic symbol on it and, and, and on the back of it. And he had this long hair and earrings in his eyebrows and tattoos all over his body, you know. And as he was worshiping God, the preacher was pleading with people to volunteer in the nursery, and the preacher said, you know, if there's anyone willing to work in the nursery, would you please just stand up? And nobody stood up. And a second time, he said, is anyone willing to work in the nursery? Nobody stood. The preacher pleaded, please, we need somebody to work in the nursery. And so the motorcycle gang guy was touched. And he just stood up and said, I'll do it. And 20 mothers stood up immediately and said, nope, we got it. We're good. And so the point is, you just never know how God is going to use you to multiply your gift if you're just willing to give it, right? Just like he was. So just give your gift, whatever it is. You know, something that's interesting from, from this story, I thought that Elijah not only asked this widow to give to him, but she asked her to give to him first. Did you notice that part? To give to him first. To me, that seems pretty forward if you're Elijah. I mean, come on. This lady doesn't have anything. And you're saying, not only do I want you to give to me, but I want you to give to me first. But this principle of giving first before saving, before living expenses, guys, that's taught all throughout the scriptures. I mean, all throughout the scriptures, we see that. In Exodus 23, 16, when Moses was on Mount Sinai and received the law from God, it said, celebrate the festival of harvest when you bring me what? The first crops of your harvest. The first fruits of the trees, the field, the oil, even the first fruits of the cattle were not to be used by the Israelites. Nope, they were to present them to God. In Joshua chapter 6, you remember, when they conquered the land of Canaan, the plunder of the first battle at Jericho was not to be uh, taken. It was to be offered to God. This gift giving of the first fruit was an act of trust. They honored God with the first, and then they believed that he would provide the harvest that was to come. Look at Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, and with what? The best part of everything you produce. What will happen when we do that? Then he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will what? They'll overflow with good wine. Guys, I think that means, how do we apply that to our lives today in 2022? I think that means that when we sit down and make our budget each month, the first item should be what we give to the Lord, right? We, we don't pay our bills, buy everything else we want, and then we see if there's anything left over to give back to God. That's not what we see in the scriptures. No, he says we give to him first to demonstrate that he is the priority in our lives, not my hobbies, not entertainment. No, God is first in my lives, and that, and that I'm trusting him to provide for me. That's what we see in the scriptures. 
Elijah told this widow, give to me first. And she did. And you know, in 1 Kings 17, the first part of verse 15, it says, so she did as Elijah said. And I was reading that and I was thinking, why? You know, why would she do that? She wasn't Jewish. She hadn't met him before. She, she didn't know the law. Well, if you look back in 1 Kings 17, verse 9, it says, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Remember that? You see, God occasionally spoke to people other than his chosen people, and he guided their behavior. Before Elijah came, this woman had received some kind of visit from God where she was told that when the prophet comes, I want you to do whatever he asks. And she was obedient to God. She did it, even when that meant she would have to risk everything that she had. She still was obedient. And so a second lesson that this widow teaches us is this. When we give, God promises to meet our needs, especially in difficult times. That's when many of us quit giving, isn't it? It's easy to give when everything's rolling smooth. But when difficult times hit, the first thing that many of us do is what? Quit giving to God. This widow teaches us, no, no, no. God will promise to meet our needs, especially during difficult times. Look at it in 1 Kings 17, uh, second part of verse 15. It says, and she and Elijah and her family, what? Continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and oil, olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah, just like God said. You know, God just performed a daily miracle in that home. This wasn't some mysterious chemical reaction that took place in a jar overnight, no. It was a supernatural daily act of God. Each day she would empty out the jar of flour and pour all the olive oil in the jar. The next morning, I'm sure to her amazement, imagine if you were her, every single morning the contents had been replenished. Isn't that amazing? There was just enough flour, just enough oil for one more loaf of bread every single day. You know, I thought about it. It's kind of similar to what the Israelites, their situation when they were in the wilderness. Remember that? And every day there would be manna fall from heaven that God provided. Just enough for them to eat that day. And so because the widow trusted the Lord, he supplied her needs. He also supplies the needs of her son and the needs of Elijah every single day. And she had a lot more. Why? Because she was willing to be obedient to God by giving to him first. Isn't that what you see there in the story? Guys, God promises that if we would just trust him enough to give to him first, he promises to supply all of your needs. That's not me talking. That's what God says. He promises, and God's not a liar. He will keep his promise. Look at Philippians 4.19. It says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, let's not get crazy with this, okay? Um, it doesn't say once. Not that he will supply all of our wants, but he will supply all of our needs. Uh, Elijah and the widow, you know, they didn't eat steak and lobster every single day, right? They ate bread and drank water on most days. 
but God did supply their needs. God doesn't promise that if we sacrifice and if we give back to him, that he's going to make us financially rich. Sometimes he does bless people with earthly riches, but that's no guarantee. But he does promise that he will supply all of our daily needs if we would just trust him with what's first, right? Look at Psalm 37 in verse 25. I love that verse. It says, once I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. It was David's observation here that those who obeyed God did not go hungry. God supplied their needs and they had enough to eat. You know, I was just thinking back at my life. I'm 46 now, about to be 47. And I think I would agree with, with David there. You know, I feel like I've worked hard, I've trusted in him, and he always comes through even at times when my faith was very, very small and I thought I was going to sink. You know, this week I was just thinking back sometimes, all I've got, I remember then I didn't think I was going to make it. I remember that time I didn't think I was going to make it. I thought I was going to go under financially speaking. But guys, I can attest to this, that God has always been faithful, always. He can't not be faithful you know, I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. Look at Malachi 3.10. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Guys, in almost every area, almost every other area, God says, trust me. But in the area of finances, do you see what he said there? He says, test me. Test me. Give 10% right off the top and see if over a period of time I don't open up the floodgates of heaven and bless you beyond what you could ever imagine. That's the word of God. Look at Luke 6, 38. It also says, give, and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine what you get back. I didn't write this. I'm just reading it, okay? But it says there in the Word of God, if the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, that's not our motive, right? But read what happens. God says what happened. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 6. It says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Same way this morning. If you're feeling pressured, don't give. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. And so I get it. We don't give to get. We're talking about being a wise manager here. But, but nobody's pressuring you. 
All you have to do, I think, if you look around and see the ministry of this church, you will see that God is honoring our obedience. There's a bunch of people at this place who are obedient to God in this area, and I think all you have to do is look around and see how God is blessing us for it. It's amazing. Just be obedient by tithing, and then give whatever else God lays on your heart to give. What's going to happen when you do that? Well, the scripture, we just read it, says God will supply your needs. Now, it may be in the form of prevention. You know, the the shoes of the Israelites in the wilderness, they didn't wear out, did they? Forty years. Maybe when we give to God sacrificially, maybe it's our car that keeps going way longer than it should go. Maybe it's our fridge that doesn't wear out. Our roof doesn't leak. The scholarship is renewed. Maybe God supplies your need through the generosity of other people. Maybe someone offers to take you out to eat. Someone gives your kids a bunch of clothes that, that their kids have outgrown. Someone shares food from you, uh, uh, with you from their garden or gives you a, a gift card to a restaurant. You know, you're down to your last dollar and, and there's a bank error somehow in your favor or this unexpected check comes in the mail. Maybe it's just that God supplies your need through wiser management. Some of you have, have seen this in your lives, I know. You look at your budget and you make some necessary cuts that enable you to live on less. You know, and there are some simple ways that we can save money as well. You know, sacrifices that we can make when times are tough. I just listed a few of them here, but one thing you can do, just just make a grocery list or a budget and then only pay cash. Statistics show that we will always spend more money when we put it on a card or we don't have a list, right? Right? I mean, how many of you go in the store and Kroger for a tomato and come out with $70 worth of stuff later on? No tomato, right? Just all kinds of stuff, you know. If we don't have a list, it's tough. Another thing we can do is is eat at home rather than go out to this expensive restaurant. The Bible even says to practice hospitality. If mom needs a a break, then go to a place where kids eat free on that night, you know. Um, and when, when I, I hate this one, but I know it saves money. When eating out, drink water, okay? I just have to get lemons squeezed in mine, but uh, you'll save a lot of money like that. Another thing, swallow, swallow your pride and just admit it. If you can't afford it right now, when friends ask you to go do something that's way out of your budget, just humble yourself and say we can't do it. And, and then the last thing I wrote down is when you're cutting back, keep a positive attitude, you can be just as happy eating hamburger helper as you can eating steak. I think so anyway. I'm not sure about that one, but I think you can, okay? Or maybe you could compromise in the middle and eat hamburger steak. How about that? All right? But we have the ability to choose our attitude. We do. We get to choose. Look at 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing into this world, right? And we can't take anything um, with us when we leave. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Be content. So God expects all of us to give something. Other than being obedient with our tithe, we have to pray and ask him what that is. And when we do, God promises that he will meet all of our needs. But there's one other lesson we can learn from this widow, and that's this. I didn't want to throw this one in there, but it's true. God will not exempt us from suffering. 
even if we give during difficult times. He won't. You would think this widow would have smooth sailing because she was obedient, right? But that wasn't the case. No, 1 Kings 17, verse 17 says this. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and finally, he died. And you read that, and you're like, what? How in the world? I mean, he died? This woman had put her trust in God. I mean, she had risked her last meal. She continued to walk with the Lord every single day. And then her her son gets sick, and he dies? I mean, out of all the tragedies in life, I think this has to be close to the worst. You know, in that, in that day, it would have been even worse because a widow in her old age had to depend on her children to care for her, not, not the government. And so this woman got angry at God, and she also got angry at Elijah and even at herself. Look at 1 Kings 17, 18. It says, then she said to Elijah, oh, man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? You can understand, can't you, the frustration? I can. I mean, you you can hear it there in her voice as you read that. I mean, this isn't fair. I I thought God was going to take care of me, and and now my son dies. I mean, what's going on, Elijah? Is your God so cruel that, that he sets me up only to let me down? Even Corey Ten Boom, um, a saint who had endured a Nazi concentration camp, she once said this. She said, God, if this is the way you treat your friends, it's no wonder that you don't have very many. Guys, Elijah was devastated by the boy's death as well. Not only the mom, but Elijah saw this happen, and he was distraught. Like, what's going on? But he decided to do something about it. Look at 1 Kings 17, 19. It says, but Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms and carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and he laid the body on his bed. And then Elijah cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? And he stretched himself out over the child three times, and he cried out to the Lord, O Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. And you know, this is the the first miracle of the resurrection of the dead that's recorded in the Scriptures. Look at verse 22. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned. That's amazing. And he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room. And can you picture this in your head, you know? And he he gave him to his mom and said, look, your son's alive. And then the woman told Elijah, now I know. I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Can you imagine the joy of this mother? I mean, what an incredible blessing from God to have Elijah there at that time. And, you know, the presence of the prophet did not prevent her son from dying, did it? I don't think that God caused it. I think that they lived in a world where there were viruses, you know. But the presence of the prophet definitely was a blessing beyond food. And did you notice that when the widow first met Elijah in verse 12, she said, your God? She said, I swear by the Lord, your God? 
And now in verse 24, she calls him the Lord. Sounds like she'd come to believe in the one true God. Guys, I hope and pray that we would give generously this year as a church, that we would give sacrificially. But listen, that's no guarantee that we won't be exempt from suffering. God does promise an ultimate victory, though, through the presence of Jesus in our lives. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter 3, uh, starting in verse 3, when he says this. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. So be truly glad. There there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and, and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, It will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Everyone is expected to give something. God promises that he'll provide for our needs, but he doesn't guarantee that we won't suffer. But guys, as I close, just let me remind you, Jesus gave up all the riches of heaven to come to earth, to to be the bread of life. But it didn't exempt him from dying on the cross for our sins, did it? But God raised him from the dead, and he has given him the name that is above every name. And we have this promise that even though we have to suffer some grief for a little while, the scriptures say, you know, that we're going to go through some trials. We have an inheritance in heaven, it says, that will never perish. It will never spoil It'll never fade. That's the promise. And so we ask you this morning, if you haven't done so already, to give your life to him. You may be sitting there kind of like the widow and you're thinking, you know what? I don't really have anything to give. And, and you know, my life's just a train wreck. It's been messed up and I'm so far from perfect. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. And listen, little becomes much in the hands of God. Little becomes much in the hands of God. So as as the band comes forward, we're going to sing this last song together. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, would you just give your life over to God? Just kind of wave the white flag of surrender and ask Him to be your Lord and your Savior. Let's stand and sing uh, this last song together. What an amazing challenge from God's Word for all of us. We hope you start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. Be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.